It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Today is week five of a series we launched five weeks ago called King of Hearts. And uh, what we're doing is taking a bit of a, a walk through the high points and the low points from a, a guy named David. David, who ultimately became the second king of Israel. Um, there's so much to learn from his life and leadership, good, bad, and ugly, that we can apply to our lives even thousands of years later. And uh, David received what I consider to be the ultimate compliment, where God actually referred to him as being someone after God's own heart. And what an aspirational goal, that, that we, like David, are flawed humans. We're not perfect. He wasn't perfect. Uh, we make mistakes. He made mistakes. And yet, the trajectory of his life, the momentum of his heart was always directed towards God, that even when he messed up, he wouldn't run for cover, he wouldn't try to avoid God, you know, calling him out. He would ultimately turn to God and, and plead for mercy and restoration and, and learn from that. So, so much of that that we can learn for ourselves. And this, uh, if you missed any of the first, because I'm thrilled to see a bunch of first-time guests here this morning. I've met some of you, some of you haven't met yet, but great to have you here. Let me kind of catch you up. Uh, we do have our podcast. You can go back and listen to any of the first four weeks. But let me kind of catch you up. So David is uh, working the family job in his mid to late teens as a shepherd, okay, looking after sheep. And um, the king at the time was the first king of Israel, a guy named King Saul. Now Saul, his heart had started to kind of become a bit unhinged. And God removed his hand of blessing off Saul. And ultimately, anointed David, like plucked him out of obscurity and said, you are gonna be the next king of Israel. But whilst he anointed him, like he identified him, he gave him the promise, the appointment as the king, like the crown, the throne and all of the trappings didn't come until many, many years later. And so David spent the time between the anointing and the appointing in, you know, I just called the waiting room. And the good thing, and one of the things we can learn from David is over the years that he spent in the waiting room, he waited well. He learned to wait well. And even though he was still in, he just kept on with the shepherding thing, he was still in obscurity. He was still doing, you know, monotonous tasks. He was preparing himself. He kept on, he was like a worship leader, wrote uh, psalms, worked on his instrument. Um, he would fight off uh, predators from the sheep. And just those two things alone, the, the crafting his musicianship and crafting his warfare skills against lions and bears were the very two things that brought him into the front row with the king and with the nation of Israel. Because uh, the king, as I mentioned, Saul, his heart started to become unraveled. He started to become uh, overwhelmed with anxiety, depression, and one of the things that was considered therapeutic back then, and, and by the way, it still works today, is music, particularly worship music. So one of King Saul's advisors said, you know, why don't we get a, someone in that can come into your court and just like sing and play worship music to you? And Saul's like, yeah, well, I mean, can't do any harm, right? 
And one of, the, one of the servants over in the corner says, I know a guy and just happened to be David who was still out there shepherding the sheep, but he was becoming renowned as a bit of a good musician. And so they bring David in and David starts to sing and worship and minister to Saul. And, and as he did that, and when he did that, Saul's depression lifted and, and, and the whole atmosphere changed. And that still happens today. It's why we start 10 a.m., with worship music to shift our hearts focused and the atmosphere as we gather together. So great. So, so David, you know, it's like the trajectory is going up. He's now in the court of the king and the king's giving him the thumbs up. I love this kid. Uh, the next thing we discover in history, big deal, is uh, the Israel army are out with a standoff against the Philistine army and the Philistine army had this dude named Goliath and Goliath was taunting one person from the Israel army, just, you know, just bring me one, anyone, give, give it a crack. And none of the Israel army, the trained paid soldiers were willing to actually fight Goliath. He was a pretty intimidating dude. And uh, David went and did an Uber Eats delivery on behalf of his dad to his brothers, three of whom were in the army, brought him some wine and cheese and bread and all this sort of stuff, great. And then he's like, hey, why isn't anybody taking on this Philistine? And they're like, a little bit scared. And he's like, all right. I'll give it a crack. And so David, this uh, probably at that stage, maybe approaching 20 years old, steps into the fray against Goliath. And Goliath's laughing because Goliath's like Shaquille O'Neal plus, and David's like five foot, not even. Um, and David takes him down. And it's like, oh boy, no one saw that coming. Talk about betting on the underdog. Somebody had some big winnings then. Um, what happened is then, the, the, see, what was at stake then is the winner of that battle, Israel army or Philistine army or the representatives of, the defeated army, that whole nation, this is what was at stake, that whole nation was expected to become enslaved by the victorious nation. And by the Israelites, they've been in slavery many hundreds of years before. They didn't wanna go back. I mean, none of us would, but just like the, there was even more at stake for them. And so thankfully, David, you know, crisis averted. Uh, and so David's stocks continue to rise. He became a national hero. There was parades when he was coming back, parades. And, uh, and, but the parades were kind of like, well, literally, some of the people were singing, David has killed his tens thousands and King Saul his thousands. And Saul's like, hang on a sec. These people like David more than me. So this guy that had been filled with anxiety and depression, who'd started to love David, now was jealous of David, started to be intimidated by David. It fueled King Saul's insecurities. And this is when the trajectory of David's life started to kind of take a different turn. The roller coaster started to go down. And Saul was so intimidated that he literally decided to eliminate the threat that he was gonna take David out, like kill David and problem solved. God knew that as this turbulence started to become David's life, David would need a friend, a loyal friend. And so God gave David this incredible gift of a loyal friend, a guy named Jonathan, which by the way, in a unique plot twist, Jonathan was King Saul's son, the prince, the successor to the throne. And neither Saul 
nor Jonathan knew that God had already chosen David to be the next successor to the throne. So by the time David, this is kind of just a little flashback to when David had come in and he was now the worship leader in the court of the king. By the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan, the son, Saul, the king's son, was deeply impressed with David and an immediate bond was forged between them. Jonathan became totally committed to David and from that point on, he would be, uh, man, what, what a description to have someone in your life that this is how they're described. David's number one advocate and friend. Now it's 2022 and uh, if you've been uh, stumbled across LinkedIn recently, you would have seen there's been a very seismic shift in how we view resumes these days. See, 20 plus years ago, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth freely, uh, if you put in a resume with more than about three previous jobs, the, the, the person, the recruiting person would get your resume and they would literally just shh, shh, shh and throw it in the bin because it looks like you can't hold down a job. It looks like you're not employable. It looks like you're a bit flaky. They, they, you won't even get the interview, but let's say if you did, they'd be like, so tell me the real reason why you left these jobs. You said because you wanted to. Now, you put in a, a resume with this stonking like pages and pages and pages of previous employers and they go, wow, this person brings so much experience to the role. We need to get them in for an interview. And it starts to look like a real positive thing. And, and every, you know, instead of holding a job for decades, you know, we like three years, maybe we can kind of cross our fingers and hope for five but it's not considered a bad thing. In fact, it's often very much encouraged, this kind of commoditization of careers, which is okay to a point. Uh, but here's, here's one thing that's kind of threaded through that, and it's, the, it's, the, it's individualism. That one of the things that fuels our desire to kind of keep shifting and moving and whatever is that we assess our careers by whether or not that job, that company continues to serve my interests and my purposes and my goals. Again, not all bad, not all evil, I understand that. But here's where it becomes problematic, is that same mindset has started to spill over into other areas of our current culture. Individualism has started to become a guiding force in marriage. That person no longer fulfills my goals, my needs, my desires, so it's probably time to move on. Churches, hello. There's a show on HGTV called House Hunters. There's a parody on YouTube called Church Hunters. And it is so close to the bone, it's funny and not funny at the same time. And, and here's the thing, and I'm, look, I'm not going to dunk on anybody, but, and I could go on a whole thing and, and show you why it matters to be plugged into a church. But here's the thing. This is, this is the simplest way I can put it. Uh, look for a healthy church. If you're church hunting, maybe some of you are this morning, look for a healthy church. By the way, I say healthy, not perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And if they were perfect before you arrived, you've then just spoiled it. Uh, there's no such thing as a, but look for a healthy church where Jesus is the number one thing, not politics. 
where people talk well of each other, not stab each other in the back. And I could go on, I've got my list of what I'd be hunting for in a church, but I already have a church, and this is it. Um, but his, his, so find a healthy church and then plant your roots deep. Because deeply planted lives grow in healthy soil, right? And in contrast, frequently transplanted things never grow. So the more you, you think, oh, it's been 12 years and I haven't really grown. It's like, yeah, because you, you, you keep uprooting. So that's all I have to say about that. It's also this individualism has started to spill into friendships. Where, where we used to have friends for a lifetime and now we have friends for a season. And it's often this, well, they're no longer, and you know, we hit a bit of turbulence, so we did the cancel culture thing and decided, you know, it's easier just to kind of. So I wanna come back to that. But understand that the quality of our lives is very intrinsically connected to the quality of our friendships. So when you have a deep-spirited friend, which by the way, you don't build deep-spirited friends in a microwave, they take time and effort and energy and intentionality. But when you have that, protect it with everything you have because the quality of your life is intrinsically connected to the quality of your friendships. So here's what Jonathan did. Now, Jonathan's the prince. David's a shepherd boy. Jonathan's dressed like a prince. David's dressed like a shepherd. Jonathan, out of his deep love for David, made a covenant with him. Now, covenant's like an agreement on steroids. It's like you, me, and God. And we're never gonna break this thing. It's between the three of us. Jonathan formalized it with solemn gifts, his own royal robe. You don't give your royal robe away. His own royal robe and weapons, armor, sword, bow, and belt. So this happened when... David and Saul and the army had just returned from battle. David's riding this crest of popularity. David's killed his 10,000s. Saul's killed his thousands. Jonathan's the next in line. He's the successor. He didn't have to get voted in to be the next king. He was just... So if anyone was actually... Uh, the, should have been the most threatened. It wasn't just King Saul, it was Jonathan. But yet Jonathan didn't see his role as being threatened by David. He saw his role as someone... That, that, that needed to be a loyal friend with a covenant to the point where he even sacrificed some of his own things. And this is one of the hallmarks of loyal friendships is loyal friends sacrifice. And, and, I'm, and I'm just like David would have been, I'm sure, grateful that God's blessed me with loyal friends. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, the, t- t- 2011, um, I was headed to Las Vegas, not to gamble. I was there to do a triathlon, World Championship triathlon, 2011. And a uh, long way to fly. Months of training. It's, uh, it was like November, so I trained through, I mean, Perth winter, but you know, nevertheless. We're all a bit soft over here. Uh, it felt cold. Um, put in months of training, the money, the time, everything over there. And when I arrived and unpacked my bike, discovered that the frame was cracked. Don't know if it was 
quanti- uh, anyway, let's not finger point. Anyway, it was cracked, not rideable. Well, here's the thing. If you don't know about triathlon, triathlon is a silly sport which requires three disciplines and you don't get to skip one. It's a swim followed by a bike, followed by a run. If you don't have a push bike, you don't get to do the cycle portion. So here's the world championships, people. Mark has got a bike, but it's in two pieces. So one of my buddies, Blake, lives in Southern California. He found out. Uh, And he's like, there's a guy that works in my company and he's like a semi-professional cyclist. I bet he knows somebody that's got a bike that's like whether he's not your size, but somebody in his network uh, would have a bike that, that, that you could borrow for, for the World Championships. So Blake offered to uh, recon source, put, out, put it out to the network uh, to get a replacement bike and then to drive it to me from Southern California to Las Vegas, drop it off and then drive back. Six hour each way round trip, 12 hour round trip. And let me tell you this, if you've never driven from Las Vegas to, sorry, from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. It makes the Nullarbor look like an adventure park. It is the world's most boring drive. So here's my buddy. Just, I, I will drive 12-hour round trip on the world's most boring drive to get you a bike so you can compete in the world championships. Hello, loyal friend. And he didn't ask anything in return. I couldn't give him anything in return. That wasn't the point. But one thing important just to insert as well is loyalty is a two-way street. That as much as we pray and ask God for, for Him to bring and gift us with loyal friends, actually it's often the seed of us being willing to be loyal friends that you'll find the magic happens with that person. Another thing that loyal friends do is they defend us. You know, life gets tricky sometimes. Sometimes things happen that you have no control over, but sometimes your friend can actually play a role. And let me give an example of, of, of one time that Jonathan, when the stakes were super high, defended David. Now, let me show you this. We've got a QR code. This launched at the same time as our series. So bring that up here. This is, so the Bible app, I mean, you can use a paper Bible too. It's the same words. Um, But if you use the Bible app, you can scan this, use your camera. You need to have the app installed and you need to have signed in. That's just, I'm telling that to the people over 50. Uh, And uh, then it will allow you to set, elevate church as your church. The benefit of that at this stage, and they'll be rolling out more features, is that we actually are, are putting up a featured Bible reading plan Monday morning that echoes what we've been teaching on the Sunday. And that allows us to go through that. So we've been able to do that every week uh, since we started this King of Hearts series. So there'll be a new plan uh, arriving tomorrow morning around loyal friends. So you can have that uh, in the Bible app when you're ready to go. Now, while you've got your uh, cameras, phones, etc., there's a flow code here. This will take you to the story that I'm about to drop us in, the slice of history where Jonathan steps up and defends his friend David. Again, when the stakes are super, super high. Let me tell you how high, people, the stakes were. I mentioned earlier, King David had decided to eliminate the threat that he felt David was. Well, get this. David, I mean, sorry, King Saul gave the job to Jonathan. Look, I know you guys are BFFs, but would you go and kill him for me? I mean, that'd be great. Thanks, son. And again, Jonathan would have benefited 
from David being eliminated because he was the... Jonathan brought up David with his father, speaking well of him. There you go. There's a thing that friends do. Please, he said. To, John, uh, David's not in the room here. There's another little takeaway, by the way. You want friends that speak well of you, whether you're in the room or not. Just saying. Please, he said to his father, don't attack David. He hasn't wronged you, has he? And just look at all the good he's done. He put his life on the line when he killed the Philistine. What a great victory God gave Israel that day. I mean, you were there. You saw it and you were on your feet applauding with everyone else. So why would you even think of sinning against an innocent person, killing David for no reason, whatever? Well, Saul listened to Jonathan and said, son, you're right. As God lives, David lives. He will not be killed. (laughs) One of the hallmarks of loyal friends is they're not just fair weather friends. They're bad weather friends. They're stormy weather friends. They're turbulent condition friends. Like that's the best friends <laughs> that God can gift us with. Let me move a little forward in the timeline. So Saul initially wanted David killed. Initially asked Jonathan to do it. Jonathan pushed back a little on the idea. Saul's like, okay, you're right. Well, I mentioned from the beginning, there was just over the course of months and years, Saul's heart his inner world had been unraveling, right? So it should come as no surprise to us to discover that Saul went back on his word and it was game on again. David, the bounty is back. Okay, I know Jonathan's not gonna kill you. Maybe it was a little bit too much to ask, but you know, we'll get it done. David hears about this, flees into the forests, hiding away in caves, looking to avoid you know, being captured and killed. And he organized a secret clandestine meetup with Jonathan. And David says to Jonathan, "Um, can you help me understand why your dad wants me killed? And Jonathan's like, oh, no, no, don't be silly. (laughs) My dad tells me everything. He said he doesn't want to kill you anymore. (laughs) And David's spidey senses are going off and he's like, ugh. Actually, Jonathan, I think he very intentionally hasn't told you because he knows that we're BFFs and he knows that you're probably going to want to kind of, you know, stop this happening. And Jonathan's like, the sneaky little... And Jonathan understood too. And this is what Jonathan said to David in that moment. Tell me what you have in mind. I'll do everything anything for you. This is a profoundly risky thing for you to say to a friend. Jonathan effectively wrote David a blank check. And David got to fill in the amount. Remember about five years ago, um, I was here on a bit of a preaching bender, uh, not by choice. I mean, I'm the primary communicator here at Elevate, but I have no desire to be the only communicator here at Elevate. But we didn't have a teaching team at that point. So I was both the primary communicator and kind of the only communicator. And uh, this may be different for other preachers, but I just find after, I don't know, 
it's hard to put exact number on it, but just after a number of weeks, uh, I find that I start to get a bit stale. I start to lose a bit of freshness. By the way, maybe you feel the same way. Oh, him again. Okay. So I'm at coffee. I don't stand up here and go, well, anyway, it's been six weeks. Uh, glad somebody showed up. It's probably going to be horrible. Uh, it'll be over in 25 minutes, I promise. And then, no, I mean, still bring, bring my best. But, you know, I know internally that, that I'm struggling with some freshness. And again, this isn't a counseling session, so you all don't even know when that happens. But, you know, some of my fellow church leading buddies, they get it. They've been there. I'm telling them. Yeah. So I was at coffee, telling my buddy, how's it going? He, I say to him, well, you know, been on a bit of a bender, need a break, uh, struggling with some freshness. He's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I get it. I understand. Um, and he had recently um, stopped leading the church he was leading. And he said to me, here's my commitment to you. You can phone me as late as Saturday night if you feel like you just can't get up and, 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 and do you know, what you need to do on the Sunday morning and I will preach for you. Just, he wrote me a blank check. Now, interestingly, I never cashed that check, but I kept it ready, you know, break glass in case of emergency kind of situation. Well, that loyal friend is a guy named Rob Mason, who is just, by the way, in case you missed it, is now a part of our teaching team. So he, he took the blank check and went, you know what? I mean, I'm gonna even open up my own bank account, be part of the company. And uh, we're so better for having Rob as part of our teaching team. But, but you know, the, 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 the on-ramp there was his loyalty of just saying, I'm just gonna give you a blank check. And he would have had to give up surfing on the Sunday morning had I cashed that check in. I mean, come on. Anyway, all right. Final big idea. I mentioned earlier on that, it, it, you know, deep-spirited friendships take time to develop, energy, intentionality. And when you have them, protect them with everything you've got. But here's something that you know, and here's something that I know, is that even in some of the most loyal friendships, turbulence happens. Things are said occasionally that maybe shouldn't have been said. Things are done that maybe shouldn't have been done for whatever reason, but creates some turbulence. And it's, it's sometimes easier to then just do the cancel thing or do the avoidance thing. One thing, because I grew up in an avoidance environment, um, avoidance doesn't improve anything, just in case you didn't know that already. Uh, and probably over time, it ultimately makes things worse. It certainly makes things worse in your own heart, even if it doesn't make things worse in the relationship, although I think it typically ultimately spills out into the relationship. And uh, Jesus, he actually speaks into this kind of thing and gives some step-by-step uh, -step instructions, believe it or not. Uh, that when you and your friends, or by the way, uh, it could be actually just, it's a, he gives some human to human teaching. So what I'm about to show you, this will work, uh, can be applied in your workplace, uh, among your family, uh, and yes, of course, with your friendships. This is what Jesus taught. Now, he was teaching it to a, a group of followers. So he uses the term believer, but as, a, as I mentioned, this is a human to human thing. If another human 
hurts you, if a fellow believer hurts you, if someone in your workplace hurts you, if someone in your family hurts you, if your friend hurts you, if your spouse hurts you, if your boyfriend, girlfriend hurts you, go and tell them. Work it out between the two of you. If they listen, you've made a friend. If they won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. So look, basically... Step one, and if step one don't work, move on to step two, all right? But let me unpack that. I wanna just give this super practical, super real world. Step one, go and tell them. Not go and tell everyone else what they did to hurt you. Go and tell them. And by the way, it's important I'm saying, there was no email or text or DMs where you could just, oh, you, blah, blah. which by the way, person to person, it, I, I think if Jesus dropped into history now, I think he would still say, go and tell them. I don't think he would say, send them a text message, an email or a DM because those forms of communication, boy, can be very dangerous when there's some heat and some misunderstanding upstream. You know that, right? Right. And I know that person to person can sometimes take more courage and challenge your comfort level. I'm going to come back to that in a second. And this is sort of easier. Send it. But if this is done well, it's way, way, way more effective. Okay. But it is a learned thing. And at end... And it sometimes requires you stepping out of your comfort zone. But this is about being a rough weather friend. You've experienced some turbulence and you're gonna put yourself second and your comfort second in order to go to that person. So avoid avoidance, avoid gossip because gossip tends to be more about troublemaking than trouble resolving. So which, what's, your, what's your objective here? Um, and do what I call it, like my my. This is just my, I mean, I don't think I invented it, but the, the language that I've landed on for many years is go and have a clarifying conversation, okay? Not a grenade-throwing competition, a clarifying conversation. And the initial objective is to just put everything on the table. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about what was said. Let's talk about how, you know, I wanna hear how maybe that left you feeling and, and the thoughts you've currently got and, and I'm I'd be you know love the opportunity to share a bit of where I'm at and, 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 and what that's done for me with the ultimate objective is that I hope we can get greater understanding not just of if that happens again but of more of who each other is and what's important to us and establish a platform that if and when turbulence happens again let's have a really 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 short timeline to get this on the table and work through it again because your relationship with me is far too important to not put ourselves in this position. There is, however, because like, I'm not gonna ask you to put your hand up, but I, I think law of averages would suggest some of you, the thought of this, at least on occasions, terrifies you. Maybe because of who the person is. Some people you find intimidating or whatever. Or, or, or some cases, and this isn't judgment. I mean, this is human. 
uh, stuff. Maybe you haven't developed the, the, the confidence and the capacity and maybe the skills to, to think that, because you know, sometimes you're like, if I go to that person, I'm pretty sure I'm just gonna actually make things worse. <laughs> and I might wanna make things better, but I don't think I'm gonna be able to make things better. And, and what I've learned, and, and this is certainly something that's taught um, quite widely in counseling circles and also in some organizational circles is, is there's like, this is step one. This is the gold standard. This is where we wanna get to. This is over the, the arc of our life. Become good at this. But if for whatever reason in the circumstance or because of the person or because of the situation or just because you haven't grown into this yet, let me give you an alternate step. And, and this, is, this is just, because again, you're trying to, create understanding, you're trying to get clarity, you want to not just so much be right, but ultimately be right with that person. And if you don't feel that your first step is that you're gonna be able to get right with that person, that you may be gonna be able just make things worse, again, because of maybe lack of skills, lack of confidence, emotions are spinning around, you're not even sure you fully understand what happened anyway, because you maybe felt you got a bit blindsided, whatever then before you have that clarifying conversation, take an alternative step one and look for some coaching assistance, right? But, but this comes with a few qualifying, important moving parts. Number one, that person has to be Switzerland. You are not looking for someone that's gonna take sides. In fact, no, I'm gonna say it differently. You are looking for someone who's gonna take sides, the side of you getting right with that other person. And they're gonna act as a sounding board. They might even have a little bit of a coaching relationship in there. This could be a counselor, could be a mentor, could be a, 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 a trusted uh, leader who's got some capacity. Um, but you're going to them to, to, to help you be better prepared to then, so don't then just, I, I got it off my chest. Yeah, but no, and then <laughs> go and have the clarifying conversations. Now, when you have the clarifying conversation, two more things. Number one, go in with your perspective as wet cement. Because here's one thing in life. There's two sides to every story. You all know that, right? But actually the truth often lies somewhere in the middle. So you're gonna go into that, sure, with your perspective, but here's the thing, that other person may have a different perspective and, 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 and the truth is somewhere in the middle. So go in with your perspective as wet cement. You know, what I thought was, but I could be wrong. I could be missing something. Can you help me understand how you saw the events take place? Where you're coming from. I'd like to hear from you because I think that would help me and help us gain greater understanding. So go in with wet cement, not ch -ch. admit it or die. And then the second thing <laughs> manage your emotions. Some of you are better at this than others, I get it. But if when you're having that com clarifying conversation, if your emotional dash light starts to flicker, take a time out. You know what? I, I, I wish this wasn't the case, but right now I feel if, if we just keep going, this is, this is not you, 
it's me. If we keep going, I'm going to say or do something that's just going to make things worse. So can I just we'll take a time out and, 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 and let's come back to this. All right. Step two. I'm going to finish real quick with this. Jesus said, if that didn't work, then get one or two others to go with you. And it's not a gang up, it's a circle up. Again, these people have to be Switzerland and they have to bring some capacity and some competency to the situation. Be willing to ask good questions. Be willing to kind of bounce things around. Again, the ultimate objective is to get right with the person, not to just prove who was right uh, versus who was wrong. And here's just final thought. If things get to this, and they, and they might occasionally, uh, <laughs> Before you do this, this is you and this is the person you're trying to clarify things with, get their consent to bring in these people. Because if you don't, it, it will look and feel like an ambush and, and, and it'll completely destroy your motive of bringing them in in the first place. So you say to the other person, you know what, we're stuck. I mean, we're, we're, look, we're stuck. I wish we weren't, but we were. Can I, can we, how about we get some, and so on and so forth. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.